Well, hello, Christ Chapel. Great to see you on this uh, weekend where we celebrate uh, uh, Veterans Day that's coming up this next Wednesday. So I'd like to say uh, personally thank you to all of you who are veterans. Uh, thank you to those of you who are worshiping online with us who are veterans. Uh, I appreciate your service. I know you have uh, given a tremendous amount of your life uh, to helping us enjoy the freedoms that we all enjoy in, in a wonderful, wonderful country we all live. So thank you, thank you, thank you for your service. Uh, I know that you will always live with that and I certainly appreciate what, what you have have done. So nationally, we celebrate this next week of Veterans Day. I thought it was interesting that this past week, uh, and I'm not making this up, this past week was International Stress Awareness Week. <laughs> the irony is not lost on me. International stress awareness. I, I, I love it. it. It's not trying to deter stress. It's not trying to tell you how to cope with stress. Just so you're aware. Are you aware that you're stressed? If you're not, you missed your week. Sorry, it was last week. You, th this past week has been a, a roller coaster, uh, which is a, an understatement and probably have left many people at some time throughout this past week asking the question, why on earth? Why, why on earth? It really doesn't matter where you stand politically or who you voted for, you probably still ask the question, or if you voted at all, you probably still ask that question, why on earth? God, why on earth are you letting this happen? God, why on earth? has it taken so long? Why on earth is this person winning at this point? Why on earth is this person not winning at this point? Why, why on earth is this happening? You know, if uh, 2020 had a word for it, you guys know what that word would be probably, unprecedented. It's the most overused word in 2020, and I'm guilty, I used it too. But if there was a question that could theme 2020, I think it would be why on earth? So many people have asked that rhetorical question. The question why on earth doesn't expect an answer if you've ever asked that question. It's more an emotional question that comes from a deep place of shock or even sadness or sorrow, of agony, where you go, why on earth? Maybe you've actually had that question asked of you, like Cody, why on earth did you put rocks in your ears as a child? True story, might explain a lot. But it's this idea that there is no logical reason. When somebody asks why on earth, what we would want is a response, a satisfactory response, some sort of reason, some sort of logic that helps us connect some dots to what we are experiencing around us. And this year, you've probably asked that question a bunch of, why on earth is there so much turmoil in our country? Why on earth is there so much hatred amongst people? Why, why on earth is this pandemic continue, continuing to linger on? Why on earth is our country so divided? 
Or you might have asked it personally, why on earth did I lose my job? Why on earth is my spouse at odds with me? Are we at each other? Why, why on earth did they leave me? Why on earth did I lose my mom, my dad, my uncle, my aunt, my brother, my sister? Why, why on earth? You see, it's a rhetorical question. When we ask it, it's more of an emotional response more than we expect an answer. But when we ask that question of God, I think we do expect an answer. When we ask God, why on earth are you letting these things happen? We want a reason. We would love for a, a, a scripture, a, 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 some sort of parable that helps us understand why on earth things are the way they are on earth. Maybe we don't even expect an answer though. And we'd rather God just snap his fingers and make it all right. Rather than an answer, actually probably what we would want is a response. We'd want him to step in and make everything right on earth. You know, when we ask that question of God, why on earth, I think it's fair for us to ask that question of him in a different way. Not as far as experiences that we're having right now in our lives, but what if we ask the question of why on earth of Jesus? We know what this world is like. And those of you who have been around the block a time or two know that there's nothing new under the sun. And the turmoil that our country is experiencing, the sin that our country seems to be mired in the muck in, is no different than the sin that has been present in the world. Yet, this is the same broken, divided, hostile world that Jesus came into 2,000 years ago. So maybe in order to answer our why on earth question, it's better for us to ask that question of Jesus, of why on earth did he come to earth? And that's what we're gonna talk about today. So if you would, open your Bibles to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. Today we're gonna begin a new series, obviously called Why on Earth?, and what we're gonna be doing is we're gonna be looking at the reasons for the incarnation. Why on earth did Jesus come to this earth? I mean, if, if I'm Jesus and I am reigning on my throne and everybody is sitting and worshiping me rightfully so, I know this sounds blasphemous, but I don't wanna go to a broken, sinful, hostile place where I know I'm going to get mistreated and ultimately crucified. I think you'd probably agree with me. So why on earth did Jesus come? You see, I think if we can answer that question theologically, I think there are implications that help us emotionally. Because emotionally, we've been asking that question, 
this question of everything going on in the world and we've been stressed out, we've been anxious, we've been worried, not understanding what God is doing in our world. But if we look at why he came into the world in the first place, we might have some solace. We might have some peace. Because folks, the best answer to emotional questions is theological truth. I can sit here all day and prescribe you self-help emotional things of take a deep breath and count to 10 and meditate and all of those things. But folks, what we need is someplace where we can build our lives. And what Jesus tells us is don't build your lives on sand. Build your lives on the rock. Jesus is the rock. He is the bedrock of our lives. And so if we understand why on earth he came to this earth and we understand the mission of the incarnation, then it will better help us in our lives and what we are experiencing emotionally today. So that's what we're gonna do throughout this series is we're gonna lay a theological foundation so that we can understand what God is doing in our midst and in our world today. So here are my series goals, just so you, that you understand. Our series goals, first we're gonna highlight the necessity of the incarnation, the necessity. Could God have just snapped his fingers and done everything that he wanted to do? Absolutely, but he didn't. Why not? It was necessary for him to send his son, and we'll talk about that throughout this series. A second, to tease out the implications of the incarnation. There are a lot of implications to Jesus's life here on earth. Third, we're then going to apply Jesus' life on earth as an example for how we should live. And then ultimately, what I hope happens is as we look at Jesus, uh, we worship him. It inspires worship as we look forward to celebrating uh, the birth of our Savior. So this series is gonna take us through the end of the year throughout uh, 2020, and we'll go out in 2020 with a bang. But what we're gonna do today is I wanna look at the first implication of the reason why Jesus came. And Jesus came to reveal a new kingdom. He came to reveal a new kingdom, and I think this is totally applicable for our lives today and what we are experiencing. In a country that is so divided right now, amongst friends, amongst family members, amongst marriages, we are divided. And we've got to understand that our allegiance, first and foremost, is to a king, sovereign, divine, and eternal. First and foremost. Because until we get there, we will completely be at odds with everything going on in this world. And guess what? We'll be building our lives on quicksand and fighting on quicksand, only to sink. We've got to get back on the truth. And the truth is that the reason why Jesus came to this earth was to reveal a new kingdom. So that's what we're gonna look at today is John chapter 18, a very precarious conversation that Jesus has with Pilate. And I wanna read the whole uh, section to you. It's uh, verses 33 to 37. So uh, if you would, just follow along with me. John chapter 18, beginning in verse 33. It says, so Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, this is when Jesus is on trial being handed over to the Romans by the Jews. And Pilate says to Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? 
And Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answers, well, am, am I a Jew? Like, am I supposed to know that answer? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Why did they give you to me? Verse 36, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. And for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. Why on earth? To bear witness to the truth, because everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And may God bless the reading of his word. We'll stop right there, because Pilate then just goes in to ask that uh, question that people have been asking for many centuries, what is truth? Because truth is what you should build your life on. Truth is what never changes. And that's what Jesus came to bear witness to. But Jesus begins this conversation with Pilate in between kingdoms. Nobody wants him. <laughs> the Jews don't want him. Remember, the, it's, it's why they're passing them along to, passing him along to uh, the, the Romans. They say, we don't want any part of you. And so they trump up these charges of, hey, you are a, a blasphemer. You uh, won't pay uh, taxes to the government. Uh, you call yourself a king, which is, you're just trying to start an insurrection against Caesar. And so they trump up these charges against him and push him over to the Romans. The Romans don't want anything to do with him. Pilate doesn't want anything to do with him. That's why he says, am I a Jew? Like, why am I dealing with you? You see, the Roman government allowed for different uh, groups, religious groups, to operate underneath their sovereignty, as long as they didn't get in the way of their rule. And so he's like, well, this, this affair isn't, doesn't even have to deal with me. And Jesus, in a sense, says, you're right. You see, Jesus came to establish his kingdom that is not of this world. Jesus came to establish a kingdom that is not of this world. He's in between these groups. And maybe that's how you've felt lately, that you've been in between. I mean, there, there are two camps in our country that are very obvious. And maybe it's been clear to you that, hey, I, I understand the fights that are going, fights, you know what I mean, relatively, but I, I understand the differences in politics, but guys, I live for a different kingdom. I, 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 I don't fit here and I don't fit here because I don't fit in this world. And when Jesus says he's come to establish a kingdom, it's a kingdom that's not of this world. That's what he says in verse 36. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. It actually means out of this world. If my kingdom were of the world, then my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom, it's, it's not from this world. The kingdom that Jesus came to reveal and establish does not look like kingdoms of this earth. 
It doesn't look like traditional kingdoms. The, the Roman government is, and the, the Roman empire is arguably the m- most uh, established, most dominant civilization ever on this earth, reigning for a thousand years. And Jesus comes and says, yeah, it doesn't look like that. Even though that was one of the best civilizations to ever exist. Jesus says, my, my kingdom isn't like that. And you go, thanks, Cody. How does this imaginary kingdom one day help me now? Well, it's not just an imaginary kingdom. First of all, it's real. But it established, it's established today. You see, Jesus, when he talks about a kingdom, he uses all of the same metaphors, analogies, all of those things to talk about what is real and what is true. And what does a king do? A king sovereignly rules to protect, provide for his people, and provide for his people, but also to defend them from evil and to restrain and judge evil. And Jesus does all of those things today. His kingdom is established. And his kingdom, his literal rule on earth, will come and be established on this earth. It's called the millennial kingdom. When his kingdom reigns for a thousand years on the earth, before he ultimately puts down evil and he creates a new heavens and a new earth where he reigns eternally and forever. So this kingdom isn't just this imaginary thing, this emotional crutch where you say, great, okay, we're citizens of heaven, doesn't help me today. Yeah, it, it, it should help you today because it doesn't look like the kingdoms of this world. Because for the kingdoms of this world to advance, it's, it costs people's lives. Think about all the kingdoms, think about even the Roman government. How, how did they take over the world? It was by the sword. They killed people to rule and to reign. And the way that Jesus rules and reigns is not to take life, but to give life. See, that's what he's talking about here when he says, hey, if my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would have been fighting. This kingdom doesn't employ fighters in that way. It doesn't employ the sword. In fact, remember in Matthew, when uh, they come to uh, take Jesus into custody, Peter takes a sword and cuts off one of the soldier's ears, remember? And what does Jesus tell him? Put down your sword. Put it down. My kingdom doesn't rule the way that the kingdoms of this earth rule. My kingdom isn't defended the way that the kingdoms of this world are defended. Two totally different kingdoms, two totally different agendas, two totally different means of ruling. And I put a contrast on your sermon notes just because I want you to be able to to see how these these are different. So the kingdoms of this world, they're, they're geographical and finite. But the kingdom of heaven has no borders, and it's infinite. The Roman Empire came to an end. The kingdom of God doesn't. It goes on and on and on. Uh, the kingdom of this world creates laws to dictate behavior. They have, to, they, they have to tell people, this is how you have to believe. But the kingdom of heaven changes hearts to transform behavior. The kingdom of this world enforces laws with the sword, but the kingdom of heaven entices obedience with blessing. 
Ultimately, God will judge evil, but he doesn't rule by the sword now. He enacts, uh, kingdoms of this world enact punishment for disobedience, but the kingdom of heaven forgives disobedience because of a substitute, Jesus. Kingdoms of this world are led by sinners, and the kingdom of heaven is led by the Savior. Two totally different kingdoms, a kingdom that is out of this world, a kingdom that supersedes any kingdom ruler authority on this earth. You have to understand what comes first and where our allegiance should lie. You see, it comes first. There's an aspect of Jesus' kingdom that is already but not yet. He's already ruling. He's already reigning. And there's also a part where it's not yet, where that kingdom will come, which is why we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. So Jesus came to reveal a new kind of kingdom. It's not a democracy. You don't get to vote if you want him in charge. He came to establish a theocracy, a monarchy, where he is king. But it's a kingdom that's out of this world. In fact, it, it, it's one of the, I don't think it's the reason, but I don't, the irony isn't lost on me, that the people of God are called the ecclesia. Ek meaning called out. The people who are called out of this world. The people who are set apart from this world. So Jesus comes from out of this world to establish a kingdom that is out of this world and his people, the citizens of a new kingdom, are called the called out people. Guys, we can't get caught up in the affairs of this world. The affairs of this world matter. They do, absolutely. They have eternal consequences. But only one person has our eternal allegiance. So I wanna ask you a few questions as we go throughout today because I just felt like today should be a, a reflective kind of time. So here's your first question. Is your hope in a kingdom that will end or one that will endure? Is your ultimate hope in a kingdom that will end or a kingdom that will endure? You see, you know how much hope you have had in this election based on your emotional response, positive or negative. If, if you were super excited with the announcement yesterday that Joe Biden is probably going to be our next president, and you were super excited, also, you, you might be too overly invested in this. Or if you were super disappointed that Trump wasn't reelected, you might be overly invested in this. Maybe. Obviously, this stuff matters. But ultimately, that's... We're kingdoms of another, we're citizens of another kingdom, not just here. So what, where does your hope lie? See, the interesting thing is, when Jesus goes on trial before Pilate, he thinks that Jesus is on trial. Actually, everybody else in the story is on trial. Jesus isn't on trial. You see, based on how we respond, we're on trial. Where is our ultimate hope? Because we're citizens of another kingdom. That's what Colossians chapter one, verse 13 and 14 says. 
that he, meaning God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. We've transferred kingdoms. In a sense, we, we don't reside here anymore. Our hope, our citizenship is in another place. And if you don't have your hope ultimately in the kingdom of light, then your hope is in a domain of darkness. And I don't think that's gonna work out too well. Where is your hope? Don't lose your hope. You're a citizen of a different kingdom, a kingdom that will endure, not a kingdom that will end. And it's a kingdom that is ruled by truth. You see, Jesus comes to reign not by laws, but by truth. He comes to reign by truth. John chapter 18, verse 37, as this conversation continues, and I told you the difference between kingdoms. The kingdoms of this world reign by laws and legislation, but Jesus has actually come to fulfill the law and now rules by grace and truth. In John chapter 18, verse 37, then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? And Jesus said, you say that I, I am a king. He's affirming that. And he says, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Now here's what I don't want you to miss. This is a, a, a great um, declaration of the hypostatic union that, God, that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. Because if you look at how he phrases it, he said, for this purpose I was born human, born into this world, but he also says, for this reason I have come into this world, preexistent, eternal, sitting on the throne, divine, coming into this world, born into flesh. You see, this is, this is true. That's why he came, is to bear witness to the truth. And you go, what, what truth? To, to a kingdom that's not of this world, to the reality of heaven and hell, to the opportunity for forgiveness of sin and redemption. All of those things that our world desperately cries out for. You see, I, if you had your hope in, in this election, in, in a sense, I don't blame you. Because it's natural for the human heart to long for a king because we know we can't make it right ourselves. And we long for somebody else to come and make it right. To put everybody else under their subjection. To subdue evil and restrain it. We want somebody to do that. It's just that can't be in, in, in a human form unless it's the one, the Lord Jesus, who was 100% God and 100% man. That's why he had to come from out of this world but born into this world. He was the king of all kings and that's why he said he came to bear witness to the truth. So let me ask, is your hope in the tactics of this world or in the truth of God's word? And here's what I mean by that. The Jews and the Romans both had their own agendas. The Jews wanted Jesus out of the way because they wanted to rule as the Sanhedrin themselves. 
And Jesus was subverting their authority. And so they used these tactics to make these false accusations against Jesus to push him over to the Romans. Now, Pilate doesn't want anything to do with him. And so what does he do? He tries the tactic of, hey, let me release somebody instead of Jesus, or let me release Jesus to you, and, and, and you can have him back. And they say, no, 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 give us Barabbas. And they trade Jesus for a robber, a rebel, an insurrectionist. But both groups use these human tactics, and neither ultimately succeed. Both governments are overthrown. Only Jesus, the truth, remains. See, here's the funny thing about truth. It doesn't matter if you like it or not. It is. And the truth that Jesus is king and sovereignly reigning is true whether you vote for him or not. He reigns. That's, he's just bearing witness to the truth. He's not making anything true. He's just telling us what is true. That his kingdom is here and his kingdom endures. So let me ask you, when it comes to your hope, is your hope in tactics of this world or in the truth of God's word? Because see, the problem with the world, as you guys know, is sin. The only way that our world is gonna change to be the way that we want it to be is if God transforms people's hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the only way. And so you know what? I don't really, it's not about legislation. Obviously, legislation is great. But guys, people don't abide by legislation all the time. Do you understand that? That's why Jesus tries to change our hearts so we obey the power of the Holy Spirit. It, it, it starts with individual hearts. And if we're purporting a kingdom of this world and an agenda that goes along with one party or another primarily, then we've missed the point. You've totally missed it. We have got to be heralding, bearing witness to the truth of a king that changes hearts, of a kingdom that will never end. I know that doesn't sound wise. I get it, but hey, let me let Paul say that to you. First Corinthians chapter two, verses six through eight. He says, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. If you're mature, among the mature, we impart wisdom. Although it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages preexistent for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. See, the tactics of this world are totally different than the tactics of Jesus' kingdom. The tactics of Jesus' kingdom and the truth of God's word is to preach the good news, is to herald the gospel, is to pray, is to use his church to be his hands and his feet. And you might say, Cody, that doesn't seem very effective to me. And it might not. But I ask, where's your faith? Do you have faith in the tactics of this world 
or the truth of God's word. Because see, if you have your trust in, in God's word and your hope in what he says in his word, then Jesus' kingdom purposes for the future cannot be thwarted. You understand that. Jesus' kingdom purposes for the future cannot be thwarted. God is on the throne. Jesus is on the throne. And that should not, and nor do I mean that to, to invalidate anybody's excitement or experience or disappointment. I'm, that's not my point. My point is that God wants to enter into your experience. Not be this invisible imaginary thing. Because it's real. He's bearing witness to the truth. And the truth of his kingdom cannot be thwarted. If you look, go a little bit further to John chapter 19, verses 10 and 11. As Jesus and Pilate continue this back and forth, Pilate said to him, so you will not speak to me because Jesus ends up being silent. And he says, do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Real power play here. And Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. Whoa. You have no authority beyond what God has given you. And you go, Cody, that's not, that's not effective. Shouldn't Jesus have just, you know, come out and punched him in the mouth and, you know, supermaned him and all this stuff? Yeah, it'd make a great comic book. But it's not the Bible, it's not scripture. Because scripture tells us that God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, Isaiah 55. And his way of establishing his kingdom was totally different than this world. Because you know what he let his king do? Die. To be handed over to be crucified. And you go, that doesn't make any sense. I know it doesn't make sense. You would be asking, why on earth? And he says, because my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And if it doesn't happen this way, then you don't get redemption. Do you understand that? If it doesn't go this way, you and I are left out. There's a bigger picture here, folks, that I want you to grasp. We cannot be overly consumed with things that will end. And we have to be invested in the things that will endure. Because the things that will endure, he says, cannot be thwarted. You see, God allowed the unthinkable to accomplish his impossible. When you're asking the questions, why on earth, what you need is a theological bedrock of truth to say, God, I trust you, I believe you, you are good, you are sovereign, you are in control, and you will work all things together for my good, for your purposes. So let me ask, is your hope in a presidential race or in the race God has set before you? I know that the things going on in our country, they'll continue to linger and it'll go to the courts and one way or the other, you're hoping for something. 
But let me tell you, here's what I'm concerned with. I'm concerned that we are going to take our eye off the ball, church, and we're gonna be so concerned with the presidential race that we're gonna forget the race that God has set before us. Because there's a race that we are supposed to be running. And if we get our eyes off track, we're gonna trip, we're gonna fall, and we're gonna miss what God has right in front of us. And so how I wanna end is this Hebrews chapter 12 verse. This comes on the heels, remember, of Hebrews chapter 11, obviously. I know, super smart. But remember, Hebrews chapter 11 is the hall of faith. All of these faithful servants who lived in times that were tough, to say the least. In fact, it says that some of them were sawed in two. I'd say it's tough. So these tough times that these believers remain faithful. And then he says in Hebrews, the author says in Hebrews chapter 12, verses one through three, he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great or such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Not anybody else's race, our race, your race. Looking to whom? To Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he's now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, if you're asking yourself the question, why on earth today? Maybe Jesus was asking that same question when he's standing before Pilate. And he's going, why on earth did I come here? Why, why on earth am I going through this? And it was for the joy set before him that he runs his race. And there's a race for you, and there's a race for me. There's a race for our church. Here's my question, will you fix your eyes on him? On him, Jesus, our savior, the leader of our kingdom, of whom we are citizens, and say, I set my eyes on him, the author and perfecter of my faith, and for the joy set before me to see the wonderful things that God can do in our world today, tomorrow, this week, this month, this year, this next four years, and the four years after that, I'm gonna run that race because he's paving the way. Why on earth? Because he came to earth. Would you pray with me? Well, Lord Jesus, we fix our eyes on you. Forgive us, Lord God, where we have misplaced our hope. And Lord God, would you give us the faith and endurance to run the race that you've set before us? Lord God, I pray that we would put our hope in a certain king and a coming kingdom. Lord God, I thank you that you sit at the right hand of our Father. So Lord God, be the king of our hearts. We need you to capture our hearts. We need you to capture the hearts 
of the folks in our world. We need to transform them. We believe that you're sovereign. We believe that you're good. Therefore, we can hide in you. We can rest in you. We can build our life on you. So Lord God, we say, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.